Chapter 7, Interests in Real Estate. The Estate. Um, this is a little difficult chapter because it's kind of difficult to understand exactly what they're talking about, very conceptual. So I'll try to make some sense to this. When we talk about an estate, we sort of mean that thing which you own. It sort of has its own entity. It sort of has its own existence, this thing called an estate. And with this thing called an estate means that you have rights in the estate, and perhaps others might have rights or interests in your estate. So we talk about the quality of your estate, where the, there are a lot of rights you have with unlimited rights that last forever, or maybe your estate has some uh, 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 elements to it that doesn't give you as complete interest or rights. So in a little bit after I'm through explaining this, I think what I've just said will make a little more sense to you. So let's start off with this thing called estates. First of all, with the estate, let's talk about this idea of a bundle of rights. Whatever real estate that you own, real estate, you can see where the term comes from, real property estate, your real property estate is affected by a number of rights. Rights that you as the owner have, rights the government has, and rights others have. We can call this title, if you will. The title that you have to your estate, this bundle of rights, includes your rights, the right of an owner, it includes the rights that the government might have on the property, and either others might have rights in your property. The more complete these rights are that you have, and the less rights that other have, enhance the quality of your estate. Notice the rights of owners include possession, control, enjoyment, disposition, actually exclusion. We could also add exclusion. You can keep people off your property if you want to. So those owners' rights are these powerful rights that we as owners have which means basically we can do anything we want with our property as long as we do it within certain constraints. We can sell our property, we can lease it, we can mortgage it, we can will it, we can tear it down, we can rehab it, we can keep people off of it, we can quote enjoy the benefits of it, uh, we can will it, we can give it away. We have all these rights as the owner. But we have to also remember that they're subject to rights that others might have Maybe a tenant might have some rights in the property. Maybe we have co-owners that have rights in the property. Maybe there are easements or liens on the property. Maybe the government has rights on our property. And certainly we know the government does have rights on our properties. So when we put this all together, we have this thing called a bundle of rights that exists on any one parcel at any one time. This is our estate. 
So let's explore uh, this concept of the bundle of legal rights a little bit. Um, some of what I'm going to talk about is found in this chapter. Some is found in some other chapters. So for right now, just kind of be patient and let me go. Let me go through this with you, and then we'll pick it back up again where where you'll see where it appears in the book. So this is a good time to give you an overview to this concept. And uh, as I say, you'll see these, all the things we're going to talk about here, you're going to see them pop up at various places in our textbook. So we're talking about the bundle of legal rights. And we hear what we're saying is on every parcel of property, there's this bundle of rights that exists. And what are those rights? Well, they're the rights of owners, the rights of government, and the rights of, quote, others. And so let's drill down a little bit on, on each of these and, and talk about each of these three sections that we were talking about. <coughs> uh, and, and again, when, when I say title, from this point forward, when you hear title as it relates to real estate or real property, title means the bundle of rights. So we have owners. And we said as an owner, you've got these you know, inalienable rights of ownership, possession, control, enjoyment, disposition, exclusion, which basically means you can possess the property, you can sell the property, you can lease the property, you can give it away, you can will the property, uh, you can enjoy the property, the benefits of the property, uh, you can invest in the property, you can build in the property, you can tear things down in the property, you can keep people off of the property. So those are the powerful rights that owners have. Now, even though owners have these powerful rights, we say all of our rights are subject to other rights. What are the other rights that are our rights as owners are subject to? Well, we have the rights of the government. The government has the rights of police power, eminent domain, taxation is cheap. So we enjoy all of our rights as owners subject to the policing power of the government. What is the policing power? The government basically has three police powers. One is zoning ordinances, the other is building codes, and the other is environmental uh, legislation. So while we have all the, our rights in our property, they're subject to, we can't use our property that's adverse to zoning. We can't use property if there's a building code violation. We can't use property if there's environmental hazard on our property. Eminent domain is the right of the government which basically gives the government the right to come and take our property if they can show that by taking our property, it'll benefit the public. It'll be for the public benefit or public good or public use. Eminent domain, the right of the government to come and take property for the rights of, of all the, the betterment of the community. It's based on uh, our constitutional right uh, where we're basically protecting the general welfare uh, and our rights as owners are, are subject to the rights of the, the general welfare of all in our area. Taxation, we're talking about property taxes here. Uh, we have all of rights in property, but we have to pay our property taxes. Escheat, escheat is a, a, a little right that most people don't understand the government has. Escheat is simply the right of the government to be your last heir. If you as an owner should die and there's no one to take your property, uh, you don't have a will, you have no uh, relatives, no survivors, and uh, the probate court searches all over for somebody and nobody's there to take your property, it will escheat to the county where your land is located and the county will then own your property. Other rights include easements, 
liens, encumbrances, restrictions. Co-owners may have rights. Tenants may have rights. Trustees may have rights in your property. Uh, there, th this light right of others onto your property goes on and on and on. This can be a very, uh, a very uh, long list of others that may or may not have rights in your property, depending on if they're able to perfect rights. For instance, easements. If uh, someone has an easement over your property, uh, that is a right they have uh, on your property, and you can't just, uh, you know, erase the easement or cancel the easement, terminate the easement. It runs with the land. A lien, if you was the owner of property, uh, mortgage some property, and you gave the a mortgage lender a lien on your property, that attaches to the property, not to the people. Uh, if I were to purchase your property, uh, one of the first things I want to make sure is I want to discover any liens on the property, and I want to make sure that those liens are satisfied or you know taken care of before I purchase your property because those liens will go with the property, not with you when you leave. Liens attached to property, not to people. Uh, encumbrances uh, are, uh, include uh, easements and liens and, and restrictions. And encumbrance is anything that might diminish the value of the property. Um, and then we have uh, co-owners' rights. Uh, re restrictions, by the way, would be private restrictions. Uh, these might be uh, uh, homeowner association restrictions, or these might be condo restrictions. Uh, even though you're the owner and you have all those rights, it's subject to the restrictive covenants in your condo uh, a building. Uh, co-owners, uh, you may own title uh, in your name. You may be the sole owner of property, but if you're married, your spouse will have certain rights in your property. And of course, tenants, you may have all the rights in the property of possession, control, enjoyment, disposition, but when you lease the property, you give the right of possession to a tenant, and they have it as long as you know they are legally uh, in uh, the, the, the leased premises by oral or by written agreement, whatever it might be for that time period. And then, as I say, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, there, there are others. This goes on. Now, what, one of the things we're going to do as we go through this textbook here is we're going to go through uh, almost every one of these in one chapter or another. We're going to talk about rights of owners. We're going to talk, talk about all those governmental rights. We're going to talk about all those other encumbrances and e easements and liens in different chapters. And just as a kickoff, on page 124 in your book, uh, we, we talk a little bit about the governmental rights. Uh, I, I really think that when they started this chapter, whoever wrote this book, uh, my little presentation here would have probably been a good way to start it because it gives you an overview to all the different rights that are, that are affecting uh, a title to property. But uh, nevertheless, uh, I think this is a good introduction for you, and then you'll see uh, as we go along how we piece together all of these things. So when we say bundle of rights, what we're saying is that if we take all of these rights, owners, the government rights, and rights of others, when we take them and we bundle them together, we have this bundle of rights, or we have this thing called title, which is really uh, another name for all the rights that exist on any parcel of property at any given time. Basically what we're saying here is every real estate transaction is a complicated transaction because of this concept right here. Every real estate transaction, whether it's a $100,000 condo or whether it's a, a $10 million estate, uh, all of these rights are interplaying on every parcel of real property. 
And so uh, we can see that every real estate transaction is a lot more complicated than perhaps uh, we may have thought about it uh, earlier. And this is the reason why, because of the existence of all of these rights. So hopefully this was a good way to get this chapter kicked off for you. Our book talks about these different quality of estates. Some estates are of higher quality than others. Let's see what that means. The fee simple estate, we say, is the highest quality estate because it gives us the most rights to do with the property. And these rights last as long as we own the property. And even these rights can be transferred to other people and those rights they can have as long as they own the property, and they can transfer them to others that will also hold rights in complete ownership in fee simple. So these fee simple estates can be, if you will, handed down through the generations. Sometimes the fee simple estate is, is called the highest estate known to man. Because one of the things about the fee simple estate is it can also be willed in addition to being sold. Other estates we might not be able to will them, and we'll see there are less than fee estates. We have the, the, the feasible fee as a simple estate. In that estate, so we have the fee simple estate, the highest quality. There's no limit to the fee simple estate. It, it can be handed down as the fee simple estate from one party to another, retains its fee simple qualities. Uh, the fee simple defeasible isn't as high a quality because there might be a limit to its existence. And if the condition is breached or the promise is broken, the defeasible estate will revert back to the original creator of the defeasible estate. A defeasible estate, an example might be, I have a fee simple estate and I convey it to the school that's right next door to the property. I convey that parcel to the school and on the deed of conveyance I put the clause as long as it's used for school purposes. Well that clause as long as it's used creates a condition. So I've altered the estate from being this powerful fee simple estate to being a fairly powerful fee simple estate. Fairly powerful meaning that there's a condition with it and if that condition's breached it will come back to me. So as long as that college uses this property for school purposes, they can own the property, enjoy the property, control the property, do whatever they want with the property as long as that condition is never breached. Upon the breaching of that condition, it'll come back to me, my heirs, or devisees. So we can see as a buyer of real estate, it's going to be important for you to understand the quality of the estate that the seller is giving you. There are ways we can do this. And primarily what's going to happen is we're going to talk about a thing called title insurance. So a title insurance company is going to tell you whether or not it's a fee simple estate or a defeasible estate. But it is a, a condition that you're going to want to be aware of if as a buyer of property. What's the quality of estate I'm getting? Obviously, fee simple, which is about 99% of all the states out there, is the kind of estate you want, not a defeasible estate that might have a catch or condition on it. Other kinds of estates we have are called conventional life estates. Here we have the fee simple owner 
conveys property to a life tenant and on the deed it says for B for B's life and upon B's death to X B becomes the, the life tenant of a life estate and X becomes the remainder man of a remainder estate B, the X the remainder man will get title upon the death of the life tenant so a life estate really has two parts of it. It has the life estate with the life tenant and the life estate also has a remainder estate with the remainder man. While the life tenant lives, they enjoy the property, they can live in the property, they can basically do anything with the property except will the property and waste the property because when the life tenant dies, the property will go to the remainder man. It will not pass by a will and the life tenant does have a bit of an obligation not to waste or damage the life the life estate in such a way that when it is finally conveyed to the remainder man upon their death it somehow has lessened the the value of the, the estate so the uh, upon the death of the life tenant the fee estate would be reunited with the remainder man and now the remainder man has the fee simple title. So we can see X under the remainder man gets the fee simple title title after the life tenant dies. This is sometimes called fee splitting. The fee owner splits the estate between the life tenant and the remainder man. A life estate for D works exactly the same way. A conveys to the life tenant B for A's life and then to X. Poratra V is thought means the life of another. It simply means that the life tenancy is not measured according to the life of the life tenant, but it's measured according to someone else's life, in this case A's life. And upon A's death, the property will transfer to the remainder man in fee simple. There are legal life estates called dower, which is the wife's future interest in the husband's estate. So dower rights are invisible, if you will, in coit, while her husband lives. When he dies, her dower rights come to life. Likewise, curtsy is the estate that a husband has in the wife's estate upon her death. Illinois does not recognize dower and curtsy rights. We do recognize homestead rights. Homestead rights are the rights that individuals in Illinois have where they are spouses of owners. And the homestead rights apply to all the people on the property, whereby there is some protection from creditors if the, quote, homestead is attacked by non-secured creditors. So we have husband and wife living on a property. There's a gambling debt, which is an unsecured debt. The, ga the gambling house uh, files a lien against the property for unpaid gambling debts. In Illinois, we could take up to $7,500 in that uh, principal residence. I'm sorry, $15,000 per person for each individual. 
in this case if it's just a husband and wife that would be $30,000 and subtract it from what's owed on that gambling debt gambling debt is wiped out and we can use the $30,000 then to sort of start over if they foreclosed on the property the important number there is $15,000 per individual is the way the law reads which essentially could be $15,000 for husband and wife and $15,000 for each child An encumbrance is a right that others have, which is a charge or liability that attaches to the real estate. Encumbrances include liens, which we'll talk more about in Chapter 10, deed restrictions, which we'll find on page 116, easements, again found on page 116, and encroachments found on page 120. So encumbrances is a charge or liability on the property that might diminish the value of the property. A lien would probably certainly diminish the value of the property. A deed restriction might diminish the value. In fact, sometimes deed restrictions enhance the value of property. Uh, easements might diminish, often do enhance the value. Uh, encroachments um, always diminish the value of the property. Remember, with easements, and we're going to talk about this again, a license is different than an easement, and that a license is a personal right to use the property. Easements run with the land, which means anybody who owns the land has the right to use the easement or is encumbered by it. Licenses are given to people and can be taken away by the giver of the license, the licensor. Remember that things encroach, people trespass. So when we talk about encroachments, we're talking about something encroaching on the property, making an illegal use of the property. So encumbrances that we call liens, and there'll be more in Chapter 10, include property taxes, mortgage liens, mechanics liens, IRS tax liens, and judgments from a court. All of those liens attach to the property and make the property subject to being sold for payment of that debt. Certainly before we purchase a property we want to know the existence of any liens on the property and they're either going to have to be removed or we as a buyer probably will not close. The lien that probably is going to be on the property that we can't do anything about as a buyer is going to be the property tax lien that remains on the property and that's not going to be just paid off and then released because property taxes continue to be a lien on property uh, as of January 1 of each year so whatever day you close on there's going to be a lien on the property for that year's taxes even though the years those taxes aren't paid to the following year they apply and attach to the property so you can't just get rid of property taxes they're going to stay with the property but the other liens can be uh, removed by payment and by release. Uh, easements. We have easements in gross. An easement is a right we give for someone to use the property. An in gross easement means we're talking about a one parcel of property as opposed to an appurtenant easement 
which is an easement over more than one parcel. There's more than one parcel involved in an easement appurtenant. An easement appurtenant uh, would be more than one parcel. We have two or more parcels, right to use the land of another. So we have A, B, and C. Uh, they abut up to this pretty lake. Um, B says, I sure would like to use an easement. A says, that's fine. A gives him the easement to go to the lake. When that happens, B becomes the dominant parcel tenement. A's parcel, parcel becomes the servient tenement. So A, A's parcel serves B. And notice I use the word parcel, not person. So that easement runs with the land. If that parcel should be sold to somebody else, if B sells his parcel to X, X would have the same right to go upon the easement as B did. So let's say C bought B's property or merged it. They, he would also have the right to that easement. Easements run with the land. All subsequent later owners are, uh, are subject to its existence, whether they get to use it or whether they're encumbered by it. The servient tenement serves the needs of the dominant. The dominant tenement uh, has the right to use and it overshadows the right of the landowner. So the landowner can't stop the dominant tenement because they're tired of seeing them go across their property. Here's an example of an easement in gross. Sidewalks, electrical, sewer, cable. So here's our, our parcel, um, parcel A. And on parcel A, uh, we have uh, uh, a sidewalk easement. We might have an easement in the back for the electrical easement to, to run electrical to the house usually buried, sometimes up above electrical wires, sometimes they're below the ground. We might have a sewer that runs from the house to the sidewalk, or under the sidewalk to the sewer to the street. We might have cable television. Perhaps we have a transportation easement. We have a railroad track running over the back of our yard. So those would be rights, uh, usually they're corporate in nature. Uh, the corporation being a village or city having the sidewalk or sewer uh, or, or perhaps transportation would be the you know, United States Department of Transportation, a governmental agency. Cable would be the cable company. Electrical would be the electrical company. Uh, corporate in nature, they have an easement on our property. We can't keep them off if they want to come and make repairs on our, on our property or if they want to come and maintain their easement. Creation of easements, written agreement. Uh, sometimes our deed will call for the easement creation uh, by prescription. Uh, that would be that long-term usage, usually 20 years. By necessity, as we said, is a way to create an easement by necessity. Uh, perhaps an easement by necessity might be we have uh, a, uh, a flood and the flood washes out a road. So the only way that A can get out of the property is go across B and C to the public street, in which case 
B and C could not keep A from getting an easement by necessity to go upon their land, their land, B's and C's land, to get to the public street. We can't landlock people. Easement by necessity. An easement by prescription. If you use somebody else's property for a long period of time, uh, B goes upon A's property to go to the public school every day and we do it for 20 years maybe the owner before B did and the owner before that did so B's parcel has been using A's parcel to go across A's parcel to the public school eased by prescription at one day when A wakes up and says I'm going to keep people from going across the property perhaps he wouldn't be able to do it a B might qualify as an easement by prescription they're terminated when the purpose for the easement no longer exists. That uh, lake dried up. That would probably terminate that easement that we showed before. Uh, the dominant terminant buys the servient and makes one other parcel. So once you merge the parcels, that would uh, terminate the easement. The servient voluntarily releases the dominant abandonment. The servient the dominant tenement clearly shows that they're going to abandon the use of the easement and not use it any longer. The servient tenement is destroyed in such a way that the easement would be destroyed with it. Encroachments. Encroachment is the physical intrusion on real estate by a thing onto the land of another. So with an encroachment, uh, we might have something like we have these two parcels A and B and perhaps the fence that A put up encroaches on B's property. Riparian versus littoral rights. Uh, riparian rights are rights along a river. Think of R with riparian rights and river. Uh, we would also have to be concerned with river rights whether we have navigable, navigable or non-navigable rivers. If we have navigable rivers and we our land butts up to a navigable river, we only own our land to the shore. If it's non-navigable, navigable, we can actually own the land under the non-navigable river. Littoral rights are rights around lakes, uh, if you will, non-moving uh, uh, water like rivers. Uh, there we owned our uh, land up to the high water mark of that lake or waterway, uh, uh, tide if you will. Littoral rights, lake rights, river rights, riparian rights. Not to overly complicate this, but here uh, might uh, be some visuals that might help you with this riparian versus littoral rights. If you, we look at the top, we see uh, two parcels, B and A. And let's say for the sake of argument, they're exactly the same size. So A's parcel actually extends out into the river. Now, if it's a navigable river, A will, even though he owns the property out to that red mark there, he'll only be able to use it to the shoreline 
as I say, if it's navigable. If it's a non-navigable river, he actually owns the land underneath. If for some reason the river should, should change course someday, he'd have ownership of the of the of the water of the land under the river. So that th those would be riparian rights of A's, which extend only to the shoreline of the navigable river. And then in the lower right-hand corner, we have uh, the littoral rights. And uh, think of the guy who was went and bought that property that extends all the way out there to the ocean, drops off nicely over the shelf. You know, these oceans drop down. And when the tide is low, it reveals all of that land there. And of course, when the high, when the tide is high, it comes all the way up to you know the very top, and he has very little shoreline left. So when you're buying land by a lake or an ocean, you really have to take into consideration your littoral rights. In other words, how far your rights actually go, and uh, the rights of the public. In this case, probably maybe a, a state or maybe a county uh, uh, would uh, would t would take. Uh, President over your rights, even though you were going to purchase property whose uh, uh, whose boundaries extended out into the ocean. So you might be you might own that property, but you would would not be able to use it. Your rights of ownership would, would be subservient to the littoral rights, really, that the state or the county has. So with the uh, littoral rights, uh, you only get uh, use of the property uh, to the high tide. Uh, watermark of the ocean uh, or the lake. When we have those, uh, what we have is um, the movement of, uh, uh, of water or land uh, will have the effect of taking land and uh, depositing it. Uh, that would be, uh, you know, and, and also losing it. So accretion is when you get land by the movement of, let's say, water or wind. Uh, erosion is the person that's lost land as a result of the natural water movement or land or wind movement. Uh, and avulsion is a sudden removal of soil by an act of nature. Say a flood comes in and washes out the, 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 the river bank uh, or maybe there's an earthquake uh, or uh, other calamity that is a sudden removal of the soil and uh, you lose that by av avulsion.